0: Acts chapter number 4, and uh, I don't know about you, but I just have just grown to anticipate so much what uh, what God has in store for His people. I, I tell you, the study of God's Word has taken on a different meaning these days, and in every kind of wonderful way I could imagine, I, I never dreamed that... Um, That it would be quite like this. And it's just been so precious and so special. And uh, I pray today will be no different. And I know it won't as long as it's God doing the work. Amen. It has to be the Holy Spirit of God working in the lives and hearts of His people. And that's what we've been praying for uh, all week long, all morning long. That the Holy Spirit of God would move and work in the hearts of God's people. Acts chapter number 4. I want to start by reading the first 13 verses of Acts chapter number 4 this morning, and then we'll jump into the meat of the message. Beginning of verse number 1, the Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. And they laid hands on them, I'm sorry, verse number 4, howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel... If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. There was a man over 40 years old sitting at the temple temple door and for years and years literally decades of his life he sat there just waiting to see who would help him. As Peter and John walk into the temple that day, they look over and they set their eyes on this man. And they tell him in the name of the Lord Jesus to rise up to walk. And immediately he receives strength in his ankle bones and in his legs and he literally, in the very moment that they mention the name of Jesus Christ, he rises to his feet, he goes in with the disciples, and he is leaping and jumping and praising God. Well, you could imagine how unsettling this was for the Jewish leaders who could not stand even the very mention of the name of Jesus. And so here this notable miracle is done. There is no denying it. This, is, this man is well known by everyone in the community as the guy that sits at that door. And here he comes running in, praising God, leaping on the feet that never worked. And so they ask the disciples, they say, how on earth did you do this? What took place? What, by what name did you accomplish such a notable miracle? And Peter, as he was, filled with the Holy Ghost, did not shy away from such an awesome opportunity. And he plainly states it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom they had crucified, that this man was, was raised up to walk. Verse number 11, This is the stone which was set in naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved." Now I want you to note verse 13, because verse 13 stands as the springboard verse for this entire sermon. Now when they, the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They were astonished. These men who didn't know as much as they knew, had the audacity to be so plain spoken and so bold in what they were thinking and what they believed and what had just happened. They marveled at this. Now listen to this next phrase. And they took knowledge of them, which which means that they, they were fully convinced. There was no question about it. They were absolutely certain of one thing. Based on the miracle... Based on the boldness, based on the success of what has just happened, based on their character, based on their response, they were fully convinced of one thing about these two men. What was the one thing? That they had been with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would You bless now as we enter into Your Word. Would You help us, Father, as You only can. God, I ask Your sweet Holy Spirit to come into this place and to move in a mighty and wonderful way. God, I want to especially pray this morning for the Christians in the room who have felt that same tug from the world that we all are feeling. That same pull away from You and into the sinfulness of this present world. And God, I pray that today that, that rope that strap would be broken, and that we would come running back to you today. Oh God, would you move in a mighty and wonderful way, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. The title of this morning's sermon is, In the Right Place at the Right Time. In the Right Place at the Right Time. I want to give you some examples of this occurring in my life, because we've all had... This happened. We've all had a situation where we've used that exact phrase. I was in the right place at the right time. It was that simple. Uh, Some of you are hunters and you know what it's like to be in the right place at the right time. It's pretty important, isn't it? To be in the right place at the right time. Some of you are shoppers. (laughs) Yes, you know who you are. Don't act like you're not here. OK, I, I know you. OK, I know you. Some of your shoppers and you look at your life and you, you say, hey, I know it was a great deal, but I was in the right place at the right time. We've all been there, right? Some of you are our drivers. You drive long distances and you see things happen and you think, man, I was just in the right place at the right time. We've all been in that scenario. And I was thinking of scenarios in my own life where I've been in the right place at the right time, and I wanted to share a few of them with you to kind of drive this thought home this morning of being in the right place at the right time. In a much less significant way, I had something unusual happen to me on Friday. You know, I've lived in the same general area my entire life. Uh, We've always lived back in a conglomerate of maybe 150 acres of, of wooded ground, and over the years I've had the privilege, I don't know how many hours I've spent in those woods, But I literally know them like the back of my hand. I could take you anywhere at any time in that acreage. And I would know right where I'm at and right where to go and right what to do. Uh, And I I love being out there in that particular patch of ground. And I was back there with charity on Friday and we were mushroom hunting. And I was doing my best to mushroom hunt with my daughter. I'll be honest, it's not easy to do. Uh, I've never done that before uh this is really her first mushroom hunting season that she is old enough to walk on her own and so we got out there and of course the first stick she came to she she got to it and she she gets and i when i talk about a stick i'm talking literally small as a, a pencil i mean this tiny little thing she gets up to it and she steps on it and whenever she does it goes up on top of her other foot you know what i'm saying so this foot's on top of the stick this is what's out of the statement. She's dying. She can't. It was over at that point. She started going, Dad, 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 Dad. I said, I'll come save you. I don't know how many times I said those words while we were out there. Daddy will come save you. Anyway, we, weren't, we were not 150 yards into our walk into the woods. And I had her about six feet behind me. And I'm walking along. And I hear a noise. And I look up. And 20 feet in front of me is a bobcat. And it takes off running in the woods. And of course, my immediate reaction, I turn around and I grab her up. And I watch this thing run off. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. I've been out here all these years. I've never, ever, ever, ever seen a a live bobcat in the woods like that. seen it on my game cameras and whatnot. I've never seen one in person. Come to find out it's living about 200 yards from my back door on my new house. So we'll have to talk to the DNR about how we're going to fix that. But anyway, long story short, uh, I, I see this bobcat and I, I, I immediately I called my wife to tell her about it. I said, you're not going to believe what just happened. I told her to her. Well, that night we went to uh, her sister's house to eat some dinner. And while we were sitting at the table, I'm telling them the story. And of course, you know how it is. You say, I saw a bobcat. And immediately it was, it's like, well, do you think you saw a bobcat or <laughs> how big was it? I mean, what color was it? You know, they go into all the questions to confirm the story. Is it accurate or is it not? I said, no, no, no. I didn't think I saw a bobcat. I know. I, I watched the bobcat run off. I know what I saw. And as we're sitting there talking about the bobcat, not five minutes goes by. And my cousin Jack jumps up from the table and says, what was that? So said, what was what? He said, out the back door. And of course, we're laughing because we're thinking now we're going to think everything's a bobcat because we saw a bobcat. He said, no, 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 look, look, look. And we all jumped up and we look out the back door and that bobcat is walking through his backyard. We watched it for two whole minutes. Walked through the back. and had something dead hanging out of its mouth. You talk about being in the right place at the right time. I was so thankful that bobcat walked through his backyard people thought I was going crazy. A little bit more significant way, I'll never forget I was in the, I've told you before, growing up, uh, my dad and his work had us traveling all over the world in my younger years. What a a wonderful privilege and opportunity that was. I'll never forget we had gone to the country of Wales and we were uh, staying in a bed and breakfast and it was just like you see in the picture, those rolling green hills, you know, uh, all through the country and And I'll never forget at that bed and breakfast, they had a locust grove that was kind of out the west side of that bed and breakfast. And as we were there one morning, I'll never forget, I was really struggling at that time in my life. I was about 15 years old, maybe 14 years old. And I can remember I was really struggling with some things spiritually in my life. And I went out of that locust grove and I just, it was early morning, it was like 6.30 in the morning. The sun was just beginning to rise. And I went out of that locust grove and there was still a little bit of mist Uh, down towards the ground and the dew was still dripping off of everything It was just absolutely gorgeous the birds were singing and I began to pray and I said God I I am so sorry that I am feeling the way that I'm feeling and I was struggling with my faith I was struggling with a lot of things at the time and and I can remember I said God if you would could you just show me just show me that you're still with me that you've not given up on me because you should give up on me but God if you have it would you just show me And literally, I'll never forget it, as, as sure as I was standing there, this sense came over me, and I turned around, and in that clear blue sky was the prettiest rainbow you ever saw in your entire life, and it was literally just centered right where I was standing, right between the locust grove branches. I'm looking up at this rainbow, and I was just, oh, it was such a precious moment, I'll never forget. You talk about being in the right place at the right time. And then maybe in the most significant way, I'll never forget. Some of you have heard this story before. I was uh, down in Inagua, Bahamas, and I was working there uh, uh, with a missionary that had invited me to come. I was at the Harvest Conference uh, at Seedline one year, and there was a man by the name of John Rhodes that always was a part of that, and he was a very quiet-spirited man, uh, unless he was talking about God, and then he was willing to tell you what he thought And uh, I had set up a booth that year, and I was going in a different direction in terms of ministry, and I'll never forget that year in particular. Very few people even came up and, and looked at the booth that I had set up, and it was a bit discouraging to me after the second night, and nobody had really come up to talk to me. I'd stand back there at the end of the Harvest Conference service, and I would just wait to see who might come up and talk to me about what I had sitting out there and what I was aiming to do. And nobody come up and talk to me but finally John Rhodes on the second day he could see I was getting discouraged and he come up there and he just started talking to me and we we talked back and forth for a little while and he said i tell you what Seth he said I'm going to Inagua Bahamas uh at a certain time period he said would you be willing to come I said I don't know maybe and that was the extent of the conversation uh almost a full year later I hadn't talked to him hadn't seen him hadn't been in contact with him at all. I got a a call from a random number on my cell phone and I just flipped it open. I said, hello. And he said, I'm ready for you. I said, who is this? (laughs) No, serious. That's how it went. He said, I'm ready for you. I said, "Okay, tell me who this is. He said, this is John Rhodes." I'm sitting there thinking, John Rhodes, John Rhodes, John Rhodes, John. John, I know who that is. I said, what do you mean you're ready? He said, I'm in Agua. He said, I've got everything set up. The church is back to working order. He said, I'm ready for you to come. I was, I was 19, and my dad was not fond of this plan. Nevertheless, my dad, you, you just got to know the man. He's, he's a special guy. He, uh, we prayed about it for about 12 hours. And uh, my daddy said, you're going to go. And so we got everything lined up. And two weeks later, I was in Inagua, Bahamas. And I'll never forget. It, 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 there were a lot of things, extraordinary things. I'm not going to get into all of them. I could spend the whole, the whole day talking about what God did there. But there was one instance in particular that really speaks to this idea of being in the right place at the right time. I was sitting at the table in the little lunchroom area of the church. The church was, uh, it was a very small church, about half the size of this sanctuary was the sanctuary of that church. And um, all they had was just a kitchen, a little bedroom for a visiting missionary to stay in. And then they had a little dining room area that was just real tiny. And every day for five days straight, I had eaten a bowl of white rice with a scoop of tuna right out of the can on top. I had that for breakfast, and then I had that for lunch, and then they'd switch it up for supper, and they'd put a little extra tuna on there for supper. <laughs> and for five days straight, that's all I ate for five days straight, and had been praying about how God wanted to use me there, and there were some really neat things happening and really neat things going on, but it was, it was late at night, about 11 o'clock. I was preaching three to five sermons a day while I was there. And I was studying for these. So I was studying and then preaching. Studying and preaching. I was in the middle of studying for the next morning's message. That I was going to preach over at Pigeon Park. And as I was studying that night. It was about 11 o'clock. I was just all by myself. Nobody else there. And I hear a knock on the door of the church. And I look over. And there's a young man standing there. And I'm thinking to myself. Do I answer the door? Or do I not? And I walk over there. And I. Opened the door. I said, Can I help you? And a tear began to run down his cheek. He said, Yeah, I need your help. I said, What's going on? And he started to cry. He said, I'm just so glad you were here. I said, What's happening? Come on in and have a seat. And so he came in and sat down at the table. He, he, just, he kept saying, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I said, What's, what's going on? What's happening? And literally, I had my Bible open right here, just like this. And here he come walking in. I said, what's going on? He said, uh, he's shaking. At this point, he's shaking just like this. He's crying. He's shaking. He said, I was walking to the cliffs on the east side of the island. And I was going to jump off tonight. Of course, at that point, his 19-year-old boy I was taken aback. I'd never been in this situation before. And he, again, he said, I'm just so glad you were here. I said, well, why did you stop? And he said, right before I came around the corner, I asked God. I told God what I was going to do. And I told him that if he didn't want me to, to stop me. And he said, I literally turned the corner. And as I turned the corner, I looked over at the church. And I saw the light was on. And I could see you sitting at the table with your Bible. At the kitchen table at 11 o'clock at night. And so I turned in and I knew it was God telling me to stop. That young man trusted Christ as his Savior that night. And by the time we left Inagua, he was 180 degrees a different person. It was an extraordinary thing. Talk about the importance of being in the right place at the right time. It had nothing to do with me. I I just was just doing the next thing. You know, you just do the next thing. and That's all I was doing was the next thing. But in the middle of that next thing that I was trying to prepare for, trying to get ready for, here this suicidal young man walks into the building needing the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else on earth. You know, we've all had moments like this in some way, shape, or form, where we were in the right place at the right time. And when you look at the lives of the disciples, one of the things that, that you begin to realize and you begin to understand about the lives of these men is that they seem to always be at the right place at the right time. That's from an insider's perspective. An outsider looking into the lives of the disciples would say the exact opposite. It always looked like they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Constantly getting beaten, thrown in jail, mocked. I mean, these guys, they couldn't figure this out. They, get, they literally get thrown into jail by the Jewish leaders. And the very next day, they get broken out of the jail by God himself and they go back into the temple. You talk about the wrong place at the wrong time from an outsider looking in. In fact, look with me at Acts chapter number 5. Turn You're right there. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 27. I want to read this account to you to kind of get what I'm trying to say here. How, how outsiders looking in would have looked at the lives of the disciples and said, those guys were always at the wrong place at the wrong time. But from God's perspective, they were exactly where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. Amen. Acts chapter number 5, look at verse number 27. The Bible says, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straitly command you that ye should not teach in that name? In this name. He won't even say the name. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. So the outsiders looking in said, hey, we just told you not to do this anymore. And now you're standing in the temple preaching the very name that we told you not to say. Wrong place at the wrong time in their opinion. And Peter responds, no, 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 no. We are doing exactly what God told us to do in spite of it being the opposite of what you told us to do. By the way, I believe he was insinuating something there. What he was basically saying is, you're telling us to do one thing, and God's telling us to do the opposite. What does that mean about you? I think that's technically what Peter's saying. That's what he's getting at. And they don't like what they have to say, and they get to the point where they're literally trying to find a way to kill them. Okay? Now, with that said, and by the way, from man's perspective, from man's perspective, These men, these disciples, they went into the worst places. They preached to the wrong people. They said the wrong words and they followed the wrong Messiah. From the outsider's perspective, looking at these men, that's what somebody would see. And the result was persecution and peril and prison and ultimately perishing. But from God's perspective, they went into the source of deception That's where they were actually going by God's design. They were going into the very heart of deception. They were preaching to all people the gospel of Jesus Christ. What that meant was just because they knew that the Jewish leaders were going to hate what they said, they said it anyway. They didn't only find the people that agreed with them. They also preached the gospel to the people they knew would vehemently despise what they had to say. We need more Christians like that. Yes. We desperately need more Christians that have the courage and the unction of the Holy Spirit to walk up directly to someone that you know is going to hate what you have to say and say it in. Again, speaking the truth in love, but boy, we need more Christians like that. They preached to all the people. They shared God's Word. That's what they were sharing. And they followed the risen Savior. And in God's perspective, the result was power in the midst of persecution, peace in the midst of peril, purpose in the midst of prison, and a paradise coming even though they were going to perish. They were at the right place at the right times. And I'll tell you why this was. This is where I want to get to in this sermon this morning. The reason these men were at the right place at the right time is because they were in the right place at the right time. Say, preacher, that was as repetitive as you could possibly be. But there's a word that I changed. They were at the right place at the right time because they were in the right place at the right time. I want to explain what I mean. Look with me again at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. How was it that they were always where they were supposed to be? It's because they were dwelling in the one that they were supposed to be with. Look at verse 13. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. I want you to understand something this morning. And if I can have you remember just one thing from this morning's sermon, this would be it. The secret to all success in the Christian life has always been the strength of one's bond to Christ. The level to which we abide in Christ determines everything. Say, preacher, I don't understand why it is that I can't get traction in my Christian life. Let me ask you a question. How tightly are you wound to the Lord Jesus Christ? Preacher, I just can't get victory over this sin. Let me ask you a question. How much time are you spending with the Lord Jesus Christ? Preacher, that falling away, you keep preaching about, I can feel it, I can feel it, I can feel it. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to last. I feel like I'm just one small step from falling down like you were preaching about. Let me ask you a question. Are you abiding in Christ? You know what the secret was to the lives of the disciples? Why they didn't give up in the face of persecution? Why it was they were able to stand strong? Why they were able to face it with joy? You understand they weren't mad about that. Well, Peter might have been mad sometimes. okay. But that's just like Peter was. okay. But they, they weren't mad about it. In fact, we find out that they rejoiced over the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name. What was different about them? I'll tell you what was different. They were spending time with Jesus. The Jewish leaders knew it. The other disciples knew it. Fellow Christians knew it. These men were spending time with God. That was the secret to everything that they were accomplishing for His name's sake. Turn with me to uh, John chapter 15. I want to show this truth to you in Jesus' own words. That the secret to everything in the Christian life is how well we bind ourselves. How well we graft ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter, I said John chapter 5, I think I said that. John chapter 15 is what I meant to say. If I said John 5, I apologize. John chapter 15, and look at verse number 4. We'll read down through verse number 8. Jesus, in His own words, this is what He said. He said, "...Abide in Me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in Me." I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Tell you what, that verse hits home for me lately. I shared with our group on Wednesday night, and I mean what I'm saying. That apart from the Holy Spirit of God, opening up the Word of God, I literally have nothing. I've got nothing. I mean, I wish I could tell you that I've got this vast treasure trove of, of, of sermons that I could pull from, but I, I, I don't have nothing. I don't have anything other than God and His Word to give to His people. And while on one hand that is a very uh, heavy, weighty, stressful thing to consider, on the other hand, it's quite glorious. It's yes. It's liberating. It's freeing to know that the success of this ministry is not based on the preacher that stands behind this sacred desk. It is based upon the God who is controlling and guiding this ministry. It all hinges on one person and it's not the preacher. It's our Heavenly Father. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. This is exactly the way God's designed it. That when we become disconnected from Jesus Christ, we immediately... Lose our ability to produce fruit, but worse still, the moment we become disconnected from the Lord Jesus Christ, we ourselves begin to die. You might have noticed some dandelions sitting up here on the front pulpit. Did you notice that? Kurt, where are you at? Did you notice that? You guys are thinking, man, he has lost his mind. It's official. Okay. I was planning on bringing a a different set of dandelions to you this morning. So you'll have to forgive me. These ones are still quite vibrant, okay? I think Charity might have eaten the other two that I picked yesterday. I don't know where they went. But I picked, I had the boys while studying this sermon. I said, boys, could you go each pick me a dandelion? So they went out and they picked me a dandelion right as I was beginning to study for this sermon. And I figured by this morning, I'd be able to show you just exactly what it looks like when you become disconnected from your source of nutrients. Well, like I said, Charity, I, I don't know what happened. They were not there, and I think I know who did it. That's all I'm saying. So when we got to church this morning, I told Cain, and I said, okay, I need you to go grab me a couple of dandelions. Okay? And so he went and grabbed me a couple of dandelions, and already you can't really tell it, but, but it's already beginning to wilt. It does not look like it did the moment he picked it. These flower petals are starting to, to pull together. The stem's already getting wilty. I guarantee you, I guarantee you by about six o'clock this afternoon, this is going to look very different than it does right now. And he just picked it this morning. You're saying, you're saying, preacher, that in less than 12 hours from the time that you remove something from its source of nutrients, it'll be withering and dying. Yes. In fact, I'd contend that within 10 seconds of removing it from its source of nutrients, it begins to wither and die. Preacher, why are you bringing this up? To highlight and emphasize the importance of you not being disconnected from Christ. I believe it's one of the greatest problems of our day. I believe one of the greatest problems of Christianity is that we have stopped dining with our Savior. We have stopped spending time in His presence. We have stopped drawing up close into His bosom. We have stopped growing closer and closer to him. And the result is we are dying by the thousands. I'm going to show you at the end of the sermon this morning. To the very last church age. The church age of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 which we believe. Is, a, is an indication as to what the church is going to look like in the final age leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. And in that church of Laodicea, isn't it interesting that of all the things that Jesus could say, he told those, the other churches you left your first love, you've got to come back to your first love. He told them that. He told others, I've got something against you because you, you, you yes, you hated the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans and you did the thing." And, and each one, he had his own way of critiquing their failure. All but one of them. But in that church of Laodicea, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. So preacher, why does Jesus describe that to the final church age? I'll tell you why. Because the final church age is going to be distinguished by, by supposed Christians who spend little to no time at all with Jesus. He will be standing on the outside of their life, knocking on the door, just hoping for the day that they'll let Him in. And I believe we're there. And so this morning's sermon is a call to God's people to come back. To that kind of walk that you used to have. To come back to that kind of relationship that you used to have with Jesus. And to those that are here that know nothing of that relationship. It's to call out to you and say that you've got a Savior who's done everything necessary to pave the way for you to have that kind of a walk with God. Amen. What I want to look at this morning, and we might take a couple of weeks to do this since we're just about out of time. But I want to look this morning at just one thought, and that is the power of our position in Christ. The power of our position in Christ. Look with me to Acts chapter 4, and look at verse 13 again with me. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And I want to highlight what happens in the life of the apostles as a result of them being with Jesus. They took note that they had been with Jesus. That's what we find in verse 13. Now look at verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. (laughs) But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in, his, in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old to whom this miracle of healing was showed." I want to show you just a few things this morning, real quick like, if I could, that happens as a result of you being close to the Lord Jesus. I'm calling this the power of our position in Christ. The first thing we see in these apostles is that there is great boldness that comes from abiding in Christ. Preacher, I just am so timid. I'm so backward. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know where to even go in the conversation. Are you abiding in Christ? I had somebody ask me this week, they said, uh, what do you say to someone that they started down the road of giving me a scenario of, uh, of a person they're trying to invite to church and this person told them that they can't go to church right now because they're, they're going to a Mormon church. And he said, what do you just say to someone in that situation? And, and used to, I would have just jumped right into trying to give them some pointers on how to deal with that situation. And, and this time was different. I said, you know, if, if I can say this without offending you, I said, really, if I could give you the number one answer to your question, it wouldn't be telling you verbatim what you ought to say to them. Instead, I would tell you, you need to go filled with the Holy Spirit of God into the conversation. And he kind of looked at me like, okay, anything else? I said, well, I'm I'm sure there's other things that need to be said, and I'm not discounting apologetics. I, I said, You know, I feel like that uh, there's things you need to learn and be aware of that they believe and be ready to contend for the faith based on what God has said. But I said, if you go into that conversation with just knowledge, you're going to come out off as an arrogant person. You have got to start into the conversation with the Holy Spirit of God guiding you. And you'll know what what happens. The first thing that happens when there's that kind of closeness and that kind of connection is there is a boldness that comes with that. What you used to be terrified to do, now you can't hardly wait to do it. There's great boldness that comes from abiding in Christ. We see that in verse number 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realize they'd been with Jesus. The second thing that comes with being close to Jesus Christ is a great knowledge. Great knowledge comes from abiding in Christ. You'll notice that they called these men unlearned and ignorant. That's what they called them. In fact, these men, I'm sure, called themselves that from time to time. So listen, I I don't know everything there is to know. I've not gone through all the books that you've gone through. I've not gone through the proper training that you have received. But God has taught me something. There's great knowledge that comes with abiding in Christ. Say, preacher, I don't know all there is to know. And you know, we'll never know all there is to know. If that's your goal, you need to stop making that your goal. Because none of us will ever know everything. God designed it that way. But I do believe that God's children should be growing in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us that multiple different times in His Word that we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And one of the things that comes as a result of abiding in Christ is a great knowledge. A knowledge of God's Word, a knowledge of what to say to people, a knowledge of how to handle situations. God is the one who delivers that as we abide in Christ. Thirdly, there's great influence that comes from abiding in Christ. Notice in verses 14 through 17, I won't reread all of them, but basically these Jewish leaders say, hey, we can't deny that a miracle's been done and it's already spread through all of Jerusalem. These men were with Jesus, this miracle is performed, and literally just just a few moments later, all of Jerusalem is aware of what's taking place talk about a great deal of influence that comes from abiding in Christ. Fourthly, there's great faithfulness that comes from abiding in Christ. I do want to read these to you again. Verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Boy, isn't that different than what most Christians are like these days. The moment that some government official tells us you better not talk about Jesus no more, we say, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. That's the typical Christian response. Can I tell you what we need right now? We need Christians who, just like Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, will look directly into the eyes of that lost soul and say, you know, I understand what you're saying. I understand why you're saying it. But whether I obey you or whether I obey God, I'm going to let you judge what's better. I cannot help but to obey God and do what He's called me to do. And it may upset you and you may not be comfortable with it, but I have to do it because it's what God has told me to do. And I'm not going to go against what God told me to do in order to do what you tell me to do. With all due respect. We need more Christians like that. These men remained faithful in spite of the persecution. In spite of ultimately giving their lives for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. They never gave up. You say, preacher, what was their secret? How did they, how did they get all the way to the end? I mean, they lived at the most, one of the most volatile times in history to be a Christian. How did they make it to the end without giving up? Their wives were threatened. The lives of their children were threatened. Their own lives were taken from them. How did they endure? What was the secret to their faithfulness? I'll tell you what it was. They were with Jesus. That was the secret to everything. Abiding in Christ was the secret to everything. Finally, we see in this passage that there is great glory that comes from abiding in Christ. Look at verse 21 with me and we'll be done. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. There was great glory that came from abiding in Christ. This miracle that they performed was performed at God's direction. They were able to perceive God's direction because they were with God. They were spending time with God. We see this over and over and over again in the book of Acts. And one of the things is we've been studying the book of Acts on Wednesday nights in our Wednesday night Bible study, which I would encourage you to try to come to if you get a chance. We've been studying through this book of Acts. And one of the things that's been abundantly clear to me is that the power of God always fell when they were quiet and alone and and, and seeking out the presence of God. The power of God would fall when other things, but it began, revival began, and the power of God began when they were alone, shut up in an upper room, praying together, no one else watching, not looking to post it anywhere so that anybody knew what was going on. They were just meeting alone with God, and then they went out and the day of Pentecost happened. It's a secret to everything say, preacher, why is that the secret? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 5 why it's the secret. He said that his father might be glorified. If you could study your way to greatness, guess who could get the credit for the greatness? If you could launch yourself into greatness, guess who would get the glory for the greatness? If you could talk your way into greatness, guess who could get the glory for the greatness? But if all you can do is bow in humility to the one who is the greatest... And then trust his hand upon your life to guide you and direct you and empower you and embolden you and give you the knowledge that you need to be an influence, to give you the faithfulness that you need to get to the end, to bring him honor and glory all the days of your life. If all of it is, is is if the secret to all of it is abiding in Christ, then guess who gets the glory? The Lord Jesus does. God has designed it this way. We've got to stop trying to figure out how we're going to go around his design. And we've got to get back into the presence of God. He said there in Revelation chapter number three, I stand at the door and knock. And we'll get to this in a week or two. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And I'll sup with him and he with me. And you know what he awards? Listen to this. You know what reward he gives to the child of God who chooses in the final church age to have an intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus. You know what he promises them? He says, I'm going to let you sit with me in my father's throne. I don't pretend to know what that means. But you read it, you check it and you'll see. And what he's promising is, is closeness. A level of closeness that no one else will enjoy. I'm telling you, Christian, if if we can get a hold of this, if we can get a hold of this, if if we can get ourselves to a place where we submit our hearts to having that kind of a walk with God, that kind of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, not only will you reap the supernatural benefits on this side of heaven, but I'm telling you there is something special awaiting those Christians in the church age of Laodicea who will have a close and intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I don't understand, but that's what he said. And I hope today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and I'm describing this to you, I want you to understand you're missing out on life. You may think that you're living your best life now, but if this is the best life we're going to get, that doesn't speak well to our eternity, does it? My best life is yet to come, but I'll tell you there's nothing like living in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the right place. And this is the right time.